We are dealing with Exodus Applied and trying to use each chapter as a anchor point for some particular principle, lesson that we can apply to our own lives. And as we move through this marvelous book, we're now into chapter 3, The Burning Bush, and I think you're going to see some interesting stuff, maybe things you haven't really focused on before with regards specifically to the name of God. Here are the five questions that uh, I am presenting to you at this present time for you to screenshot and be ready to fill in the blanks. That's what we're going to cover as we move through this lesson today. All right, you got them? Exodus chapter 3. As we look at Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to draw your attention to when God names himself. Here's the passage that we'll use. I'll read it in its entirety so that when I give my three points, we can just kind of zoom in on certain parts. But it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent to me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, you're aware, I suspect, that he is presently at the burning bush, and he's having a conversation with God. And in that conversation, God is giving him some assignments, not the least of which is, I need you to go back down to Egypt and rescue my people. And Moses is a little bit uncertain as to how that's going to play out. So he, he says this, he said, well, if I go down there, they're going to say, who sent me? And I don't even know your name. And so he asks that, what is the name? What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am, interesting, to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the Israel, the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of, the, of, the, of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. In this passage, which you're probably familiar with already, God is laying out the assignment as to what he needs from Moses. Now, in that process, there's a lot of applications we could have made, but one of the things that just stood out to me was there's at least three different ways he refers to himself within this passage, all three of which I think should should prompt an application in our lives, a principle that, that should come alive. Number one, I want you to notice that he identifies himself as being absolute. In the passage, he's going to say, I am has sent me to you. Now, I am, as you know, is present tense. Um, it's right now. It's here. It's this moment. And it says so much about God, even though there's only three letters that make up this reference to him. There's just so much profound nature to it. He is always present tense. He's always right here. He's always now. He is, as I've illustrated as far as our application is concerned, he's absolute. He's not to be questioned. He's not in doubt. He is, he is rock solid. 
He is the rock of ages, if you will, that uh, you can count upon. Now, the applications of that are huge. But to me, one of the things that I, I find to be as unique or maybe intriguing about it more than anything else is that notice that there's only three letters that make up this reference. Tell him, I am. Tell them, I am sent you. God is amazing in the way that he can use some of the most basic, simple things to do the most profound applications in our lives. You've thought of communion, I'm sure. You know, it's grape juice. And it's bread. You know, simple stuff. You know, not complicated at all. And yet that's what God has used to just radically change us and make us. So the first thing that I, I find with regards to God naming himself is the applications that can be made from him being or referring to referring to himself as I am. Now that is further expanded when you back up just a little bit. Notice how he says it first of all. He says, I am who I am. I'll be who I am. I'm not controlled by anyone. I have a, an existence that is mine. I am in control of this existence. And no one challenges my existence. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says that because of what God has created, we all are without excuse. There's not a person that's ever been born who hasn't been elected to some degree of advantage. The very fact that you can feel the wind on your face, or you can see the sunrise, or you can, uh, you can taste the grape, or you can uh, hear the birds in the morning. All of these things are testimonies of God. He has not left us without obvious evidence that he is. The I am did that. And so he is an absolute force. One last thing, then I'll move on to my second point. In our world of, of wokeness, cultural enlightenment, which is really more of a darkness than anything, but in our world that seems to think it's so advanced, we're finding that more and more people are being given over to this idea that truth is not absolute, that there are some things that are just kind of relative. Understand that that's not of God. God says, I am. That's absolute. There is no changing. He is. It's the one thing in your life that you can anchor yourself to that will never move, never change. And so do that. So number one, when he names himself, he names himself in such a way that it gives him an identity as being absolute. Number two, he also identifies as being generational. This is interesting that God is progressive. Even though he is the I am, he's not stuck in that moment. He's invested in the progress of humanity. Watch what he says here. He says, when you get there, tell them the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you. Now, we know these three men. We've been talking about them and how important they are, especially if you were with me last time with our series in the book of Genesis. I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're like the big three. They are the patriarchs of old, right? Well, when you consider these men, you also have to consider the generational existence in the heart of men. Remember what happened prior to Abraham. The next big character as you're moving backwards is Noah. And remember what happened with Noah. Noah gets on the big boat because the entire world has basically forgotten about God. 
We're so warped, so perverted, we've forgotten about God. But as you move back in time, go all the way back to Adam, you know that there was just this one man, one woman, in a relationship with God. They knew him, he knew them, and there was this intimacy that happened, but then they had to be pushed out of the garden because they sinned. And then the process began with forgetting, moving away from God. Remember what God says to Cain. He said that sin is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can control it. Problem was, Cain didn't control it, and most humanity hasn't controlled it since. And so God continues to stand at the door and knock, to quote the other end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and yet most of us are not willing to listen. We're in, in a rebellious mode. But back to our story with regards to God, when he names himself, he names himself as a God who carries through out the generations. He doesn't leave us in one generation. It's not like he's been absent. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And you can go on, I'm the God of Joseph. Eventually, I'm the God of Moses, as you see, or you see in our book. And on and on you can go with that. God continues to stay with us in a generational form. Now, that big application for you and I, then, is that we must, capital M, capital U, capital S, capital T, must pass his values on in a generational manner. That's why it's so dangerous to turn your children over to the world for the majority of their waking hours each school day. Because I guarantee you, Satan is using the world to undermine the knowledge of God. If it's going to be generational, We've got to do what Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, called the Shema to the Jew. The idea that when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the path, all day long, everywhere you look in your house, should reference God, who he is. It's generational. And so God, secondarily, identifies himself as he's coming back onto the scene, sending Moses back, saying to the Hebrews, the Israelites, Here's why I've got the authority to call you out of Egypt. Because God is absolute, I am. Secondarily, because God is a God of generations. You've heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm talking to you as a person representing that God. And then number three, it's also that God identifies himself as being selective. God has favorites. Um, God has those who he instills a greater degree of advantage to. Now, God loves all humanity. He always has. But there are certain folks, and certainly during this time period, the Hebrews, the children of Israel, were ultimately favored by God, with the blessings of God. And as you see number three play out, you see that this is apparent. Notice he's going to say, lastly, they're going to listen to you and your voice. When you take the elders of Israel, I want you to go to the king then and say to the king, look, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So the third thing he does in referencing his name, or who he is, is he identifies himself as being selective. Notice that he, in this particular case, Moses isn't given the assignment to go to the king of Egypt and say, your God has spoken to us, has met with us. That doesn't, that's not what he says. And the reason is because the Egyptians had a plethora of gods that they were worshiping not the one Jehovah God. There was only one group within their midst that dedicated themselves solely to one God. You know who that was? The Hebrews. And so God was selective. 
And he says, I want you to identify to the king via my name, who I am, that I am the God of the Hebrews. These people who you've enslaved, these folks who you are abusing, I'm their God. And, of course, this is a setup for what Moses is going to go on to do, and that is he's going to decimate the country through the power of God because they don't recognize the God of the Hebrews. Instead, you know what Pharaoh's going to do. He's going to increase their workload. He's going to abuse them even further, etc., etc. He's not going to let them go until finally the tenth plague comes upon them, the death of the firstborn, and then finally he's going to let them go. But once they get out of town, they're going to start chasing them down again. Remember that? That's how stubborn he was. God was selective. I'm the God of the... I'm not your God, Pharaoh. Not that I couldn't be, but you haven't chosen me to be your God. I am selective, God says. So, when you, when you recognize in this passage how God defines himself, there's a lot of things that not only apply to us, but I think should lift our hearts and make us feel good, solid, secure. Our God's absolute. A lot of things in this world are not absolute, but my God is. My God's generational. He's a God that doesn't just stick himself in one spot, but he is, he's been traveling with me even through my ancestors. He's been traveling with me. And my God's selective. And unlike Pharaoh, I choose to make him my God. Acts chapter 17, verse 27, I'm to seek him, and I do. And that one God, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, I'm without excuse because that one God has clearly made himself obvious to the world. I choose that God. And he selects me as his child. And in that process, I have a divine blessing that is not compared to any other blessing that I could ever receive. Powerful the way God defines himself. So again, here are the five questions that we tried to cover during the sermon segment. I think we did a pretty good job. Screenshot that, and you'll have that for the final test. Wow, I appreciate you all for being with me each Lord's Day, and thank you for studying along with me in the book of Exodus. I pray that these things are inspirational and helping you as they are helping me, changing my life, and I hope that they're changing your life as well.